0: This is our third episode in a week, so we're going to keep this intro short. Happy Doug Jones Day, everybody! and welcome to a new episode of the scary stuff podcast this is eric dellinger and i am wishing a happy doug jones day to co-host nick leamy happy doug jones day and a happy doug jones day to co-host jacob jones goldstein
1: and also with you
2: <laughs> <Yay>. <laughs>
0: we lift doug jones up doug jones day three for us technically it is the 12th anniversary of the of the original doug jones day but for us it is doug jones day three so, for folks, if, if this is your first Doug Jones Day episode, welcome. This goes all the way back to episode four, where a lot of our running jokes apparently stem from... We
1: really found our voice in episode four.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah. First three episodes are just me and Nick calling each other shitheads for an hour and a half. Hey, hey, and by hey. an hour and a half, I mean eight hours.
3: Wasn't
0: unwarranted. <laughs> <laughs> There's a good chunk of that in episode four, surely. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, if it's your first Doug Jones Day... Doug Jones was in Mike Flanagan's movie Absentia due to scheduling. He's like, all right, I can show up for one day. And Mike Flanagan christened that day Doug Jones Day. There's a whole story behind it that we go into on that episode. But so we've been celebrating it June 30th every year. Jake said in that episode, we're going to celebrate it. And we've been doing that consistently. So year one, we did Night Angel. Year two, we did Legion. And here in year three, we're doing Disney's Hocus Pocus.
3: Yeah. Which Nick called
0: last year in our Legion episode. Yeah.
3: Well, you know, I thought it was time to do one that the parents can share with their with their kids. Not necessarily this podcast, but no, <laughs> that was my next point.
0: <laughs> Disclaimer at the top. <laughs> if for some reason you found this because you're you are a parent and you're looking for hocus pocus related podcasts or something, it's, I don't think this is going to come up. But just to be safe, this is not a kid friendly podcast. Nope, we swear constantly. <laughs> like sailors and i'm surprised we got this far without swearing in fact (laughs) we haven't done the intro yet probably gonna swear in that who knows (laughs) it's it's happened before so you know (laughs) more often than not so yes just a quick note we're marked as an explicit podcast on all the pod platforms for a reason so this would be a good time to stop Hey everyone, post production Eric here, just with a quick content warning. We're not kidding. This episode gets risque pretty fast. And also, later in the episode, we have some excerpts from an older draft of the script that has some humor that's more coarse than what you see in the finished film and some jokes that have aged pretty poorly. So, just wanted to give a quick content warning just to be safe. So, this would be a good time to stop. <laughs> or don't. We're not going to tell anybody how to live their lives. You raise your kids your way,
1: or
3: our way. <laughs> It's all about truth and honesty. Truth and honesty. Maybe not so much truth. <laughs> WWDJD,
0: what would Doug Jones do?
1: <laughs> Look, I, I got to tell you, you know, in the, the three years we've been celebrating this, this has rapidly become my favorite holiday in the year.
2: Yay! If for
1: no other reason than it's the only one where I don't have to cook a giant meal. <laughs> <laughs> and since I don't eat that much food anymore... You know, I don't even get much out of those meals anymore. So now I'm just you know, Christmas, it's like here's your fucking turkey, goddammit. All right. So <laughs>
3: we have we've, we've officially now decided that next year we're doing Pan's Labyrinth and Jake needs to make that big giant feast. Oh that, that's the-, <laughs> <laughs> that the that the hand eye guy has.
0: <laughs> Pan's Labyrinth would
1: be an interesting one.
0: Yeah. Yeah, but it's coming back to me next year. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I guess Legion was mine, wasn't it? Yeah. Yep. And Nick called the shot on Hocus Pocus. And like I mentioned before, I got one I'm eyeing for next year. I haven't watched it yet, but there are connections between this movie and that one. So it's I might watch it and decide it's entirely too boring to do. But based on who worked on it, it's too. Since
1: when has entirely too boring to do ever stopped you before?
0: (laughs) (laughs) We have a good track record when it comes to Doug Jones Day episodes, though. Like Night Angel, not dull. No. Night Angel sharing a connection with this movie as well. Both movies feature songs by Scream and Jay Hawkins. Oh, that's nice. true. And all three have Doug Jones. <laughs> and all <have> Doug Jones.
1: <laughs> that works out because this Doug Jones Day. <laughs> oh, what a coincidence.
3: <laughs>
1: how convenient. It's funny how that works out. So, another early observation just to, to jump into the movie a little bit. So, we, we've recorded two episodes over the last week, and the previous one was Revealer. Which is coming out before this, right?
0: Yeah, about a week before this. Yeah, about
1: a week this way. So you'll you you should have listened to this by now. But we're recording them about a week apart, and um, I have to say that when we were approached we, and we chose to do a movie about a stripper and a evangelist being stuck in you know a, essentially a stripper booth for a film. I did not expect Hocus Pocus to be the horniest film we've reviewed that week.
3: <laughs> it is horny. Now,
1: I have never seen this film, but holy shit, is this a <laughs> horny movie. Now I understand why kids liked it so much, because if you're 13, <laughs> the, the sort of you know, kind of goofy level of horniness in this is probably right where you're at. Like, that is right in your wheelhouse, you know, 13, 14, 15, and up. And then, you know, if I was that age, you know, if I was a young person on Disney watching this and Sarah Jessica Parker was
3: slinging around them breasts, oh, I would have had an awakening.
0: Parents, you were warned at the top. Yeah. <laughs>
3: <laughs> More of a Kathy and the Jimmy uh, fan myself. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, that's fair. I mean, you, I'm just saying that they were they were there and saying hello very early in this film and very surprisingly. Like, this is Disney, right? Which is the thing I had to remind myself on more than one occasion in
3: this film. So, yeah. So that was a surprise. You, you know what? He's making a point here. He's talking. This, this film is, is hornier than revealer. It's also significantly more violent because let's go over the numbers here. This movie has a body count of six. You have Emily, Binks, Winifred, Sarah, Mary, and Billy, which, it's worth noting, is a higher kill count than Nightmare on Elm Street 1, 5, and 6, and is equal to (laughs) 3 and (laughs) 4. Wait, wait, are you
1: counting Binks all three times? Just the one. Okay. Just the last yeah. one, okay. Yeah, <laughs> I i said
3: so it's is just two because he doesn't technically die in the beginning, right? They just turn make him immortal three hundred years. You could theoretically right. count uh Winifred, Sarah, and Mary twice each, but I don't.
0: Okay. A quick point on that, real quick, before because I, I want to get into Nick, what memories you might have of this, because I didn't know whether or not Jake had ever seen this. I had not. So, so now, same. Well, kind of. I had not. I have
1: kind of seen parts of this because every Halloween. My neighbor Bree, who listens to the podcast and is probably going about to be very disappointed when I say I had never seen it, she sets up on her front lawn on Halloween and shows this. So I have seen, you know, being outside, talking to her, you know, talking to kids, whatever. I have seen sections of it, but not to the point where I was paying a lot of good attention. So there were scenes in this that were familiar to me from that.
3: Were they mostly Sarah Jessica Parker?
1: Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but going forward <laughs> that will be my primary memory of this so yeah so i i guess i had seen bits well hi
0: brie and thanks for listening
1: <laughs> <laughs> bits and pieces of it thanks to my awesome neighbor Bree and eric but i think it's mostly Bree who's the fan i don't know and if it's mostly eric who's the fan i apologize he's awesome too
3: as for me i think i first saw this maybe a year or two ago we decided we wanted to show the kids uh wow uh, really a halloween movie and we watched it then yeah
1: Oh, you were! Wait, you went so hard on it. I assume this was one of
0: those that you had grown up with. No. You called it in June of last year. Had you seen it? Because you called it during the Legion episode. I had you seen it at that point? Don't recall. Maybe not. Wow. Yeah, possibly not. Man, I, even I watched Night Angel before I recommended it. <laughs> that probably makes it worse that I watched a Night Angel and then said we should do this. Well, but I, I still stand by from a Doug Jones perspective. That's a good one. <laughs> well, now, so had you seen it, Eric? I had seen this movie once when it first hit VHS, and I didn't look up the date. So the, the theatrical release was 1993. Yeah. I'm going to guess that the VHS release, you would 94? think that... Yeah, you would think Disney yeah, would but have it's expedited Disney. it for Halloween. Disney
1: doesn't expedite shit. At least back then, they were they took forever to put stuff out on VHS. Because they kept re-releasing it in theaters. Yeah. Yeah,
0: but this one, since this one was kind of a... Didn't do as well as they'd hoped, and and there's a lot of potential reasons for that. I don't know. I don't know what... The time frame could go either way on that. But I watched it when it first hit VHS once. I remembered thinking it was fun, but it was really awkward to watch it because I watched it with my parents. And so my mother was very, very torn because my mother... Loves the shit out of Bette Midler. Mm-hmm. Always sing, you know, Wind Beneath My Wings. And I love Bette Midler, but mostly for, at the time, you know, Simpsons cameos, you know. Nice. Yeah. Crudler, you know. Crudler. <laughs> <laughs> so my mother loved Bette Midler, loved Kathy Jimmy because this was post-Sister Act. Yep. But this is a movie that's also very heavily focused on, obviously, witchcraft. And growing up in a, you know, pretty religious household, that was an awkward thing, and, and particularly so when there's a whole sequence we'll we'll talk about later where they explicitly reveal that, you know, that they are pals with the actual devil. You know, the person they meet is not the actual devil, but the implication there is they are familiar with him. That was incredibly uncomfortable. So it was a really uncomfortable watch because, Lisa, there was a lot of push-pull in terms of a lot of this is really uncomfortable, and I can feel that my parents have a lot of concerns about watching this. But the other reason I remember it was my father never laughed much at movies. Mm. Again, I was watching my dad. My dad was just shaking his head the whole time. He didn't give a shit about the religion. He was just like, this piece of shit. (laughs) Because it's a Disney movie, and he just didn't, didn't vibe on it. But my father very rarely laughed at movies. Very rarely. And so when he did laugh at stuff, it really stuck out. He laughed once at this movie. And that joke has always stuck in my memory. And it's the Clark Bar joke. It's the line that says, look, sisters, a chocolate covered finger of a man named Clark. (laughs) So I remembered that line verbatim because I remember dad actually laughing at it. Wow. So that was the only thing I explicitly remembered, aside from the cast, was that one line. See, I'm actually
3: surprised they didn't like this movie because it sets very clearly that the witches are the villains and then they're defeated. Like, no good comes of witchcraft. Wouldn't that be a good example?
0: No, at the time, it's just, this stuff shouldn't be in a kid's movie. It's just the presentation of Uh, it. Ah, okay, okay.
1: It's also a movie where a kid gets their soul sucked out in the first five minutes.
3: They do a surprisingly subtle job with that, too. It's not overly disturbing. Like, if you weren't paying attention, it could go over your head. Yeah, so that
0: goes into the kill count thing I want to mention. (laughs) This is also probably why my parents were uncomfortable. So. I read a, a draft of a script for this. I'll have a few bits I can read. I Initially going into this, I didn't think I'd have that much to read because I thought the draft I had was the shooting draft, which was, I think the shooting draft is dated October of 1992. The draft I actually have is dated May of 1992. So it's before some of the rewrites. So there is some stuff that's changed, not drastically, but there's some bits that are different and some structural stuff. But. I mention it because in a lot of ways, so the big change between the script and the finished film generally is the ratio of humor. If it's a pendulum, it swung a little more towards the kids and less the witches. Mm -hmm. The witches are still supposed to be funny. Yeah. But a lot of the little quips and the little asides and whatnot are gone. A lot of that was probably, you know, in rewrites or improv on set ad living and whatnot. But they actively put more humor on the kids and especially on Binks. Binks, okay. the cat, was a pretty different character. So, as a byproduct of that, the witches came off as a little bit scarier because there's just, they have fewer jokes. They're still funny, but they come off a little bit scarier. So, overall, the tone is a little bit darker. But then in the finished film, there is a throwaway joke early of Kathy and Jimmy using a shawl to cover up a child's dead body (laughs) in that opening one minute and throws her shawl over it. Now you can argue that the kid's not dead because if you watch the shot before it, you can see that the kid can't stay still. So the kid's wiggling her feet and (laughs) like twiddling her thumbs and shit. So you can argue she's mostly dead like princess. (laughs) So there's, that doesn't happen in the original script. She lives. She does not die in the original script. The sister? The sister does not die. Oh, wow. Her brother comes to save her, and they turn him into a cat, and then before they can do anything else, the village people intervene. Fascinating. And then Binks reveals later that his sister did die because she was... So Binks ends up, in the finished film, Binks is like, you know, oh, I've been living in solitude, you know, it's been you know, a bit of curse, lived this life. In the original script version, again, Binks was more humorous. Binks was less like he was still a kid and more like he was... a a world weary, you know, like a kind of like borderline old man. I've seen, seen some, some shit. shit. He was like, listen, kids. So there was a lot of that. But one of the things he mentioned was after he was turned into a cat, his family took him in. Huh. And so he he lived with his family for a few years. But he mentions that Emily died about a year after he was transformed and and that that was tragic and he mentioned you know i've seen so many people you know it's the highlander thing you know i've seen so many people you know who come and go and whatever but so there's that the fact that you know there is an explicit child death on screen that was added <laughs> to the shooting script and then like the witch's death is more explicit like in this the draft i have is it's a shot of the moon and as they're chanting you just hear their chant cut off abruptly. In this movie, you get swinging feet. Yep. yep. So there's a lot of things that was like, just like Jesus at the time. So, again, talking about bits that were kind of shocking at the time,
3: you know? Well, it's interesting, too, because, you know, in a standard film, you'd be like, okay, they're looking to make it a little bit edgier. They're looking to make it a little bit creepier. They're looking to uh, up the stakes a bit. Fine. That's all fine. But this is a Disney movie. <laughs> <laughs> yep. it's, I'm kind of amazed they went that direction.
1: Well, it, it's funny. I was thinking about this. I was, was out on the run the other day or whatever. And kind of thinking about this episode. This is the first time we've done ostensibly a, a Kids film. And I wasn't sure how to approach it. Because, I mean, you know, we have a distinct way of approaching horror movies. And it's not one that's usually applicable towards things, you know, kids movies or Disney. And the more I thought about it, the more I realized that this is a movie that if you just described it to someone and told them the events of the film, it would not sound like a Disney movie in any fashion. Nope. Like, if you leave out the jokes, you're just like, yes, three witches kidnap a child, suck the life out of her, and then imprison her brother as a, you know, immortal cat. The cat bit's like, all right, maybe. But then you, you know, and then you flash forward to the future, and young man is bullied, and repeatedly bullied, and, you know, attacked while trick-or-treating, and then you know in whatever you've seen the film but it you keep describing these events and it's like this is like some blair witch ass shit out here you know this is like closer to the Vivitch <laughs> than, than the fucking mr boogity mr
0: boogity nice call the Vivitch is probably gonna come up again
1: <laughs> before we're done so, well the, the intro like it, fe- it remind not the uh the helicopter fucking i know what you did last summer's shot but the you know, the bit after that where the kid wakes up and his sister's gone and, you know, he starts screaming in his Disney-ass accent and runs into the woods. <laughs> and
2: His Disney-ass accent. I mean,
1: how else would you describe that accent? Come on. <laughs> like...
3: All right. So here's my question. So the final product obviously gets darker than the copy of the script you have.
0: In some ways, yeah.
3: Now, the director was Kenny Ortega, who did, like, a bunch of music. Videos, some TV, Newsies, High School Musical 1, 2, and 3, and The Descendants 1, 2, and 3. Mm-hmm. I, I don't feel it was his choice. I think it was the final screenplay that came through. For that, we have David Kirshner, Mick Garris, and Neil Cuthbert. I mean, now Mick Garris was working on all in Stephen King adaptations. Exactly. So, in, yeah. I don't think it was David Kirshner, because he worked on An American Tale 1, 2, and 3, and the Pirates of Darkwater. Yay! Um, yeah. But... <laughs> I don't know, American Tale's kind of dark. So here's my question. Is it, do you think Mick McGarrison went this way, who has worked on Critters 2, Nightmare Cinema, Sleepwalkers, and The Fly 2, or... And the stand adaption. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> I will drive to your house right now. You will hear a long blank spot on this podcast where I'm not talking, and then you're going to hear Nick getting throttled. I'm, yeah 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 this stand
0: i'll yeah 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 you we're gonna circle back and do more credits for everyone we just went over but yeah let's because <laughs> i got some stuff i need to bring up but or was it neil cuthbert and the reason i bring him up is because he did work on the return of the swamp thing so <laughs> none of them really it's because the draft i have of the script they're all credited and interestingly like, you can tell that this movie had a lot of right. Like Mick Garris has talked about this and Mick Garris has said, I was the first of 12 writers and that's not hyperbole Jesus, and it's a Disney movie. So obviously you would expect it. I mean, if you ever look at the Disney animated movies, which are basically written by committee, particularly like around the, like the certainly the early eighties, if not the late eighties, but probably the sixties and seventies too. But if you look at the writing credits, there's literally like 10 to 12 names. Uh, I was just watching the black cauldron on Disney Plus earlier in the week and same thing a whole bunch of names speaking of Disney films that fucked people up growing up <laughs> I did not see The Black Cauldron growing up I wanted to being a fantasy kid but I never saw it <laughs> but
1: same well they didn't re- they didn't release it on video for the longest time like yeah. that was like a decade afterwards and I know because I love those books The Chronicles of Pride they were some of my favorite books growing up you got them for me for Christmas one year did I? yep
0: that seems like the kind of thing I would do <laughs> a thoughtful motherfucker anyway <laughs> yeah i i ended up that's i didn't see the film until after i read him. i read all five after you got them for christmas and then i watched the cartoon
1: yeah and i i had you know had been desperate to see it for the longest time but you know there just wasn't a way you know it's not like i had access to bootlegs and it wasn't on tv yeah you know, i think they added on like the, the wonderful world of
0: disney's once maybe and oh, i love that show i watched a lot of that show this is very old man but just a quick thing on that note how weird is it that you can just watch any Disney film you want on Disney plus anytime you want? (laughs) It's weird growing up in the days of the vault. Yeah. It's, I mean, like, obviously like you assume, Oh, it's streaming. You can get anything you want to streaming, you know, sometime somewhere, but it's extra weird when you hit play on something and you see that 80s Disney logo. And it's like, I didn't have to rent this. I didn't have to borrow it from anybody. (laughs) I didn't have to grab it for like $80 on a limited, you know, because even when they would sell them for a lot of times, they would sell for like a limited window and they would make them astronomically expensive to try and drive it to rentals. So,
1: yeah, I, it's funny you, you mentioned that because that is absolutely a thought I've had on many an occasion watching Disney stuff. And I've, I've got some of those, I, the market form is weird too. Like I've got some of those original VHS is for like Little Mermaid and
3: Aladdin, and <laughs> and they they sell for a lot. I don't know why, but they do. Look, they're hard to get, and and especially if you have the original cover for the Little Mermaid. That one was. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I do.
0: <laughs> you have the original. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I forgot all about that. Yeah, it yeah, was so, a big oh, old man.
3: controversy. Yeah, it's just
1: funny, but yeah, what you're talking about, is ex- especially for those older Disney movies. Although I don't, I think The Watcher in the Woods is still not on there, if I recall.
0: Uh, I didn't look for it. It's funny. I've got it because I, I picked it up at one point in case we ever decide to do it, but I haven't looked for it on Disney Plus. well. well
1: i I was thinking about that a lot this week because I, I had watched that for our Mike Flanagan episode because Mike Flanagan had talked about that being a big influence on him. Mm-hmm. And that was the only other Disney horror movie I could think of off the top of my head because I, I had watched it back then. I watched it on YouTube. It's much scarier than this. Less horny. But, uh... <laughs> But it's interesting because there's just, if you look up Disney horror, that's not a big select, like Mr. Boogity will come up if you look up Disney yeah. horror.
3: <laughs> Mr. Boogity messed me up as a kid.
1: <laughs> I, I remember watching it on The Wonderful World of Disney yeah. on Sunday night at my friend Chrissy Phelps' house. And we, we were like, we had been anticipating it because we wanted to see it, but we were also scared of watching it. Yeah. And uh, And it was, I remember it being scary, but I don't. It doesn't hold up. Yeah, probably doesn't. Going I, back I, is a very different experience. I I thought about watching it this week, but it it always reminded me of a Tales from the Dark Side episode I saw, where some scary dude comes into a kid's room, and I don't remember much other than that scene. But I remember thinking about it with Mister Boogity. So when I think of Mister Boogity, I have kind of a yeah reaction to it.
2: <laughs>
1: and I figure watching it again can only ruin that. And since I have a horror podcast, I feel like I should be scared of shit sometimes. So.
2: <laughs>
0: It's only appropriate, yeah. <laughs> gotta hold on to that. Hold on to that feeling. You've got, like, one of those, like, you know, at the Wawa where they've got the X number of days since incident, you've got X number of days since scared. It's like, <laughs> oh, we're getting we're getting into triple digits, I gotta get my ass scared off by something quick.
1: Well, it's funny to think of it, especially, you know, with, with something like this, which obviously isn't scary, but if I saw it as a kid, there might have been something in it. Like, I, I'm sure Billy the Butcher would have gotten to me as a kid because I didn't like zombies. But, like, there's so, there's just, and this isn't a brag, but there's not a lot of things now in horror movies that scare me. You know, you, you watch enough of these, you just kind of get used to it. But there's still stuff that, you know, I think about that I like it's, speaking to Mick McGarr- No, Mick didn't do the original It, right?
0: No, the, it was uh, Tommy Lee Wallace. Yeah, He was. Was. He's directed anyway, the yeah. original Stand, yeah
1: but in the original and in the original it mini series, when they open the, uh, the mini fridge in the library and the heads there yeah, that fucked me up and that it still nice fucks thing. me up. Yeah. You know, good. it's stuff like that that stays with you, but I like that it stays with me even through all this, you know?
0: Yeah, this was, it's funny. It, this movie wasn't just, obviously the movie's gotten a cult following, but it's not just that it's oh, yeah. a, a cult film. It's very much a gateway horror film for a, yeah. a large number of folks. And we'll, probably start to get into why when we get into some of the folks on the production end, but to real quick go over some of the, the writing stuff as far as the sequence, because it is kind of interesting how the timeline evolved for the script.
1: Oh yeah, you were trying to do that we completely, uh, <laughs> shot sideways there, didn't we?
0: <laughs> Sorry. Like we were just telling uh, Michael Marisi in the interview where he was like, we're going off track, and we don't have a track. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Our train set looks like spaghetti. <laughs>
0: Chaos personified in this podcast. Real quick to mention something. Nick mentioned a lot of Kenny Ortega's directorial credits. What I'll add to that real quick is that before getting and directing, Kenny Ortega started, among other things, as a choreographer and was the choreographer for Xanadu, One from the Heart, uh, Pretty in Pink, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Dirty Dancing. Nice. No kidding. The Let's Get Physical video for Olivia Newton-John. And hey, don't laugh about
1: that. That awoke some some stuff in me.
0: That that gave you some Sarah Jessica Parker vibes. Oh my god!
1: Well, I I didn't get to regularly see MTV because, again, no Fraggle Rock money. But <laughs> Jesus Christ, when we would visit people who had it and saw that that video, it was like, oh, well, hello there. And I was like eight years old or something. So you know that was that was very early in my my journey to being a decrepit scumbag.
0: But aside from that, one thing you will appreciate, <laughs> at least according to his IMDb, let's, let's get more wholesome here. <laughs> he, was, he was also apparently the choreographer for Neil Diamond's Greatest Hits Live. Oh, shit. So, yeah, really impressive resume as a choreographer. And he does choreography still all, pretty much all those movies he's directing. He's credited as a choreographer. You know, all the high school musicals, all those Descendants movies.
1: The Newsies. So, yeah, yeah. yep. Newsies. Yeah, but who yep. cares about that? Neil Diamond, man. It's literally the only thing I'm going to be able to focus on the rest of this episode. Hold on to that. We're it's
3: not unusual. How,
1: how often does Neil Diamond come up when we talk about Mike Flanagan adjacent stuff? And this is
0: Mike Flanagan adjacent because it's Doug Jones day. So. Yes, it is. Yep. Started because of absentia. Yep. So that's Kenny Ortega, the director. In terms of kind of the sequence of events with the script. So Nick mentioned David Kirshner. And Nick mentioned he was a creator on Pirates of Dark Water. Yes. From a producing standpoint, initially his big project was an american tale all three of them yeah which is interesting because american tale is a movie that kershner pitched to disney and he pitched it to jeffrey katzenberg who shot it down and i was gonna mention this later but if you are a fan of hocus pocus mick garris who we're about to talk about as a writer of this film he has an episode of his podcast his podcast is called postmortem we've mentioned it on the pod before he has an episode dated July 18th of 2018. And the first half of it is a and a from a Hocus Pocus anniversary screening with Mick Garris, David Kirshner, Tony Gardner, who worked on effects yes. and John Debney, who did the score. We're going to talk about them more in a second. But so the first 30 minutes are this Q&A. And then the back half of it is just an interview just between Mick and David Kirshner. It's incredibly informative. So definitely go check that out if you want some behind the scenes stuff on Hocus Pocus.
1: So, before, before we let Eric get back on track here,
0: <laughs> Jeez. I can't have it that easy. No. no.
1: Well, I just thought of this on the fly, and I've got a couple of these for this episode, but David Kushner did American Tale, as you said. Mm-hmm. American Tale features the song Somewhere Out There, which is also featured in an episode of season one on Community where Abed and Troy sing somewhere out there to their rat in order to get him to come back from, uh, you know, it runs away. And that's the song they're using to train it. So there's the duet of them singing that that's overdone with some Arbor stuff at the end. It's one of my favorite sequences in the entire series. So there is one of three Community Connections we're going to talk about, but that one I just came up on the
3: fly. I'm glad you got two others. (laughs) (laughs) You got two more chances to impress me. <laughs> hey, look,
1: guy who probably wrote the song that was in Community. I feel like that's a pretty good connection.
3: Eh. Well,
0: no, you're
1: not going to like the other two.
0: <laughs> that one is actually more appropriate than you probably realize, because one of the things I found out from that Mick Garris podcast episode was before John Debney came on as the composer, the original composer who was going to do the movie was James Horner. Who did an American tale and I believe did nice. the somewhere out there. So that was almost an even more direct connection. But yeah, that's an incredibly apt one. That's awesome. So the elements of, of David Kirshner pitching an American tale to Disney is interesting because Disney passed on it. Kirshner took it to Amblin Entertainment, which is Steven Spielberg's company. And then they had pitched this movie to Disney. And then they were also pitching it to Amblin, Hocus Pocus, and then. Spielberg was interested, and then he went, "Oh, wait a minute! You already pitched it to Disney." It, with all due respect, fuck that—they're my competition—and <laughs> <laughs> and shot it down. And so, thankfully, Disney picked it up. So the paths are inverted: one was pitched to Disney, picked up by Amblin; the other one was pitched to Amblin, picked up by Disney. So just kind of funny parallels. Also, David Kirschner was a producer on a lot of stuff. You know Nick mentioned he worked on all the Child's Play projects. Was a producer on *Frailty*. Was a producer on *Titan A.E.* a lot of folks from this movie worked on the live action Flintstones, but he was also a producer on Capital Critters and Fish Police. And I want to ask Jake, are those real cartoons or am I Denvering the Last Dinosauring Out?
1: Those are real cartoons. Okay, Fish Police so we... was a comic first. Yes, it was. And Capital Critters lasted, what, like eight hours on air, I think? <laughs> I think Capital
0: Critters lasted eight and Fish Police lasted six. Like, no joke. They lasted like. Well, not even ours. I think it was like six episodes and eight episodes.
1: Well, Fish Police was a comic first, and I remember reading about that and Starlog coming into a, an animated series. At least I'm pretty sure it was Starlog. That feels accurate to me. Oh, wow. Starlog. Oh, Starlog used to be great with all the bullshit rumors, and then what comes true? Fish Police. But uh, I'm still, still vaguely mad at a lot of issues of Starlog from my youth. <laughs> but... Um, yeah, yeah, no, those are real, real cartoons. Under like, okay. what was it, the the Doki dinosaur, whatever the fuck, <laughs> Dingbat the Stegosaurus. I can't remember. Eric is turning pink on air, people. This is great.
0: This is comic sound of teeth grinding.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> what was the other one? The the, the fucking
1: GoBots ass made up shit you had the.
0: Their names were the Mighty Orbots,
3: and they were very cool. That's it. <laughs> the, Mighty, the Mighty Orbots! Uh-huh. That one I'm shocked by. You know, you don't know Denver the Dinosaur, it's fine, but Mighty Orbots, man. No, we're off. Okay. <laughs> so,
0: so the second <laughs> one, so, <laughs> so <laughs> if folks aren't aware of it, the inception of this movie was a story David Kirshner told his kids. They saw a black cat at one point, and his child asked him, "You well, know, where's that black cat from? And he said, oh, once long ago, that black cat was actually a boy who got turned into a cat by witches his daughter wanted to hear more about it as a bedtime story and the image kind of got stuck in his head and got the germ of the idea going for hocus pocus apparently david Kirshner does a lot of design work as well like he was on toy design worked on i think toy design for strawberry shortcake and i think uh was it rose petal place or something uh wasn't that sounds right hadn't heard of it until i was researching this but the fuck is rose petal place it didn't have a cartoon so we're moving on (laughs) (laughs) but he did some artwork for the for like his conception of hocus pocus and for a presentation and there's a youtube interview with william sandell the production designer where he holds up one of these pieces it's like a charcoal piece he did and it's really impressive so again folks who like hocus pocus if you haven't seen it go check that out
1: you know i i gotta tell you when you started, you know, the, the, the inception was this, was, you know, based on a story he told his kids when they saw a cat, my first thought was, oh, Jesus, because that could have been much, much darker. It's like, well, there's a story I told him when we saw this cat this that was cat smushed by, by a by truck. A it's yeah. going to get
3: back up and here's why.
1: <laughs> like, I thought that was <laughs> where that <laughs> <I> was going <laughs> to go. It's <laughs> like, Jesus, that's going to get dark. Like, I'm still fucking mad at this movie, man. It killed the same cat twice. That's some Disney-ass extra credit. Killed a spider, too.
3: Yeah, well, Sarah Jessica Parker actually ate that spider. She revealed on uh, the 25th anniversary Halloween bash. <laughs> <was> like, oh, <laughs> boy, did I not need that information! I know, right?
1: <laughs> In the words of the replacements, but well, you can just rock me to sleep tonight."
0: <laughs> so, initial concept: David Kirshner. Second writer. Mick Garris, our resident Kool-Aid man. We love Mick Garris. He comes up as the Kool-Aid man every now and again. Obviously, his postmortem podcast is great. Nick ran is the other stuff he's worked on. Specifically, he worked with David Kirshner on Amazing Stories. Mm-hmm. And Mick wrote several episodes of it. He directed one of them, which is an episode called Life on Death's Row. But So they met through Amazing Stories, and that's also their Spielberg connection. He was working on Amazing Stories.
1: Not affiliated with their community connection. You know, Nick, if we, if we work on this, we can make this one anecdote of Eric stretch the entire episode.
3: I was about to say, like, <laughs> <laughs> what kind of a monster do you think I am? <laughs>
1: I'm just going to really lean into interrupting him every 20 seconds.
0: How the fuck did the Hocus Pocus episode turn out longer than the Oculus episode?
3: <laughs> Jake was persistent. That fucker's like two hours, 45 minutes. <laughs>
0: And we had a guest on that one! This <laughs> is just us!
1: Shit, I've still got two more community connections. I'm ready, let's go!
0: Thank God, not all 12 writers on this movie were credited or I'll be dead by the end of this movie. <laughs> What's your longest episode? Hocus Pocus. What the fuck? I blame Jake entirely. Quick side note on the script stuff. There is someone who is credited on the draft of the script I have who is not credited in the finished film, who is james douglas cox who has one credit as a second unit director on honey i shrunk the kids assuming i'm looking up the right james douglas cox but i have to assume since that's also a disney project it is the right person so presumably not much involvement in the script because he didn't end up with final credit but you know who knows to be fair
1: he did that digression to
0: himself to be fair I haven't even seen that episode of the show.
1: It's every episode of the show.
0: (laughs) I've only seen one. I don't know if it was in the episode I saw. It's in every episode. Is it actually? Okay. That is a running gag. All right.
3: It's funny you mentioned Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, because the uh, cinematographer for this, uh, Hiro Narita, was Mm -hmm. uh, the cinematographer for Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, as well as the Rocketeer, the rival in Fortress 2. Oh,
0: okay. I'm glad you had Fortress 2 re-entry on there. (laughs) That's my last one was Fortress 2 Ranchery. Also, one other one that I need to look up. He did an episode of Tales from the Crypt called Showdown, which is directed by Richard Donner and is written Ooh. by Frank Darabont. No, it's a damn. teleplay. So I got to look that episode up. Holy shit. Hell yeah. 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 We'll get into here Narita too, because this movie looking gorgeous is one of its many strong suits, I think. Agreed. Last screenwriter, or last credited screenwriter, Neil Cuthbert. And Nick mentioned he worked on Return of Swamp Thing and, and Mystery Men. He also worked on The Adventures of Pluto Nash! <laughs> yes, he did. Which is funny, because... what well, was nothing funny about Adventures of Pluto Nash <laughs> if you've seen it. <laughs> Has anybody actually seen I've never I seen have. it. I've I been have. tempted, but... It's been a while, but it's, like, one of the... It's... To me, it was like this... It really is, like, jaw-dropping, where it's kind of like, what the... F- fuck happened here <laughs> like, it doesn't make you mad watching it you're just perplexed like but the reason adventures of pluto nash is funny is pluto nash is directed by ron underwood who did tremors and a bunch of other stuff but ron underwood was going to direct this movie I before see. kenny ortega came on so funny that we almost had a director parallel so yeah so that's the general flow of the writers so it's it's interesting seeing how the movie kind of bounce from person to person Mick Garris' original draft was apparently completed eight years before the movie actually got made. Wow. And then it sat, you know, it kind of would go in and out of development. And then initially, you know, they thought the, their dream casting for the central character was Floris Leachman yep. as Winifred. She'd have been amazing. Yeah, she would have been great. But then all of a sudden, one day Mick Garris thought the project was dead and he gets a call from <laughs> David Kirshner. He says, you're never going to guess who wants to do our movie. And it was Bette Midler, and it was when she showed interest as kind of the engine that got this whole thing going.
3: Wow. Yeah, nobody was going to deny her. Yeah. Huh. She wanted to work on a movie. You gave her a movie.
0: That's funny.
1: It was Cloris Leachman. Eric never would have seen it as a kid. Because you said your mom let you watch it because it was Bette Midler.
0: That's true. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay. Yeah, I was like, Ooh, was she fired
1: that one over everybody's head. I
0: was like, was Cloris Leachman a <laughs> Satanist?
3: <or something?" laughs> I mean, it was the 80s. Like, she was an amazing actress, but man, those orgies she was notorious for. <laughs> Come on,
1: you didn't know Cloris Leachman was a Satanist? I thought that was just common knowledge, man.
3: <laughs> okay, Nick, back to you on the rest of the production. Absolutely. So we've covered a lot of this, so I'll just fill in the remainder I got here. The editor for this film was Peter E. Berger, who also worked on Stay Tuned, Lawnmower Man 2, and Fatal Attraction. And then, of course... <laughs> I think we just broke Jake (laughs) It's like a knuckleball
1: man You can track it in the air and then it just dives Three feet across
3: the plate The cats and Billy's Special makeup effects Was done by Tony Gardner Who has done So much good work He was on Zombieland Return of the Living Dead Aliens, Lost Boys The Blob, Nightbreed Dark Angel rockula swamp thing tv show dark man lord of illusions the craft and clown i'll be still my heart (laughs) wow the man has his fingers in so much shit i love
0: yeah looking up his resume it's it's massive and that's just like his effects and makeup's credit yep he's He's been the puppeteer of the Chucky doll from Curse of Chucky onwards. I think he's the puppeteer on the current Chucky show, or at least one of them. I believe that's correct. He worked on next year's possible Doug Jones Day episode.
1: (laughs) Oh, we have a clue. (laughs) It could be one of 7,000
0: films. (laughs) He's in Seat of Chucky as himself. No shit. Which I need to go back and watch because there's only one scene that, that has to be him. But the one makeup one. I, I'm surprised it didn't get mentioned. Which, it, well, there's two. One, weirdly enough, he's working on Hocus Pocus 2. We didn't mention that early, but another reason this was a great movie to do. Which will be coming out this year? Yeah, is this movie's getting a sequel? And it's scheduled currently. I mean, stuff changes all the time with movie schedules, but currently it's end of September, I think. It's scheduled to go, and it's going to go right to Disney Plus. So exciting!
1: Is it a sequel or a
3: reimagining or it's it's a sequel? Sequel, and it has the three original witches.
0: Yep, all three came back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of carryover crew, but Tony Gardner's one of them is apparently coming back. But the other thing he worked on was Movie Forty Three. <laughs> oh shit!
2: Specifically,
0: he did two segments of Movie Forty Three. But the one I want to mention is he did the catch, which is the Hugh Jackman segment <laughs> of Movie Forty Three. Which we don't need to go into detail about what that is. Is it cold but, in here? But yes, yeah, so he he did presumably that prosthetic. <laughs>
3: Wow! No, I, I I am a big fan of, of his work and look forward to hitting many more of his movies uh, in this podcast.
1: Mm-hmm. It's it's interesting that there's a sequel because, well, like I don't know. Now I'm really curious because you got to figure Max, the they main character. They blew up.
0: <laughs> I didn't lose the witches, man. They just, they just blew, blew up. up.
2: <laughs>
1: No, it's because the the character Max, Max, the main character, has to die young. So our one wait, why does Max claim to, to fame die is young?
0: a podcast? Is we're the one podcast that's going to reference Frankenhooker in <laughs> Hocus focus review? <laughs> <laughs> My God, I
1: didn't lose him. They just blew up. Yeah, no, Max has to die young because she sucks like at least thirty years out of him.
0: She gets a few sips out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's true. Unless it goes back after he blows up. but Like,
1: he's going to have a tragic young death,
0: man. Maybe that's the
3: sequel. You know, he's 50, he feels death coming early, and he brings them back to try to reclaim his uh, life energy.
1: Doesn't seem like one of them counters that refills, you know? <laughs>
0: <laughs> not naturally, no. <laughs> as of today, stuff always changes. But as of today, from what I understand, I don't think they've said anything about Max and Allison coming back. Presumably they're not. Apparently there was an effort to get Thor Birch's character Danny back, but apparently there were scheduling conflicts, so Thor Birch, as of now, isn't going to be in it. There were reshoots done on the ending, so who knows, maybe they stuck some cameos in we'll find out in September, but as of now, that's what the word is
1: Hey, since we're talking about Max I'm just going to bring it up, it's another one of our community connections. This one was fun because it's a stretch, but I enjoyed it Wait, you're you're making a stretch here? What? Yeah, go fuck yourself <laughs> I, well, I couldn't resist when I saw what he was on, because Omri Katz was in episode 5 of Freaks and Geeks. He played Brad in the episode Tests and Breasts.
3: Was there a song in that connecting here?
1: <laughs> Probably, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about James Franco, who has a very direct connection to community because he's married to Alison Brie.
3: Wait. Wait, wait, wait. So, what you're doing is, is you have an actor who's in a different show... That was worked with an actor who's married to an actor in the show. Yes. Oh dear God!
1: <laughs> because I wanted to talk about tests that's and breasts, direct. and I wanted yeah. to bring up freaks and geeks. He married into Community. That counts. There's, there's a lot of people who worked on both like worked on this, that did like sound and stunts and shit. But that's not fun and interesting. Freaks and geeks is fun and interesting. So that's where we're at.
0: Don't worry, I've got one more. Oh man. <laughs> we'll get to that in a bit. The community sort of is hanging over the rest of this episode. <laughs>
3: <laughs> so, music was done by John Debney, like you mentioned, who had worked on Predators, End of Days, I Know What You Did Last Summer, and The Relic.
1: Oh, I like The Relic. The Relic was good. I like the music in I Know What You Did Last Summer, too, which we've already referenced once in this episode, but the opening helicopter scroll
0: Yeah, he does good work. He's john favreau's semi-regular composer on on a lot of stuff like he did iron man too he did uh zathura oh zathura i love zathura take evasive action i had never really looked up his credits prior to this way well, hey, i forgot that he did the the music for this movie so when i heard the opening theme it was like all right which composer is going to come up because whichever composer it is, obviously got a note. It was like, can you, can you Batman up the theme a little bit? <laughs> Cause this was in the days of those brassy, like Elfman esque opening themes of helicopter shots, because yep. both this and needful things have that. But nope. so then I saw it was John Debney and his score for this is great, but I never looked at his resume early and he got all of his start in cartoons. Yep. He did the dragon layer TV show. He did the police Academy cartoon. The further Dragon's adventures Slayer. of Super Ted.
1: Hmm? Dragon Slayer.
0: Dragon Slayer. Yeah, the uh, the one based on the arcade game. The,
1: the way you said it sounded like you said Dragon Lair.
0: It is Dragon's Lair. Dragons possessive. A-
1: it's Dragon Slayer, isn't it? Nope. Nope. Dragon's Lair. Okay. Oh, oh my brain just skipped
0: a beat. You're you're thinking the <laughs> the live action movie.
1: The live action Dragon Slayer. Yeah, yeah. Dragon Shagger. Which, right. E- either way, yeah. it sounded like you said Dragon Lair, and that's a whole different thing. That's
0: in Trek. No, I'm probably meshing words together because I'm tired. (laughs) But you're probably also thinking Dragon Slayer because that comes up in the IMDb trivia for this movie because it's the only other, or at least it was the first Disney movie to reference Virgins. That's right. Which folks, I guess, tried to say that this was you know, part of this movie's claim is like, "Oh, it's a Disney movie." With the reference versions, but technically, I didn't realize Dragon Slayer was technically. A, I guess it was Buena Vista or whatever. I haven't dug yep. into it. Well, I that was that
1: was in that Disney era when they were doing like Black Hole and and Watcher in the Woods and things like that. Yep, they got a little frisky there in the uh, the late '70s, early
3: '80s. Just a little bit. The Coke finally hit Disney too. So this movie was produced by Walt Disney Pictures, who also produced uh, Doctor Strange, Haunted Mansion, and Nightmare Before Christmas. Because, yes, yes, yes. yes. (laughs) And then we have distributed by uh, Buena Vista Pictures, who also distributed Gravity Falls, Sixth Sense, The Village, and Signs. Did you throw Gravity Falls
1: in there because we were talking about it Saturday?
3: No, I throw Gravity Falls in anywhere I possibly can (laughs) because it's amazing. Gravity Falls is fucking great. (laughs) I guess I'm going to have to watch this cartoon. You don't have a choice. (laughs) Again, for you and the audience uh, at home, The first season of Gravity Falls, kid show. Second season, less so. (laughs) The second season stops pulling punches and it gets fucking dark. But it's worth all your time. I love the
0: shit out of Gravity
3: Falls. So So. good. I guess
1: I'll I'll give it a
3: shot.
0: Uh, And that's the production. Sweet. A couple of quick names I'll add on to that, which would be first off, the production designer, uh, which is William Sandell. I think we mentioned him a little bit earlier. Who... Production design-wise, he did RoboCop, Total Recall, Newsies, The Flintstones. Again, a lot of Flintstones crossover. Small Soldiers, Deep Blue Sea, Master and Commander, The Far Side of the World, and Hotel for Dogs. I just wanted to put Master and Commander, The Far Side of the World, and Hotel for Dogs in the same sentence, but with Deep Blue Sea. With Deep Blue Sea. I was just talking about my friend of the pod, Bernie, about Deep Blue Sea today.
1: The hell of a movie. I love it.
0: But before doing full production design, he was an art director, and he was an art director on Dead and Buried, which is a movie I'm very much looking forward to covering on the pod. Costume designer was Mary Vaughn, who was the costume designer on Batman Returns, Men in Black 1-3, Fantastic Four 2, and Kong Skull Island. And then the set decorator, probably the first time I've mentioned a set decorator on the pod. I looked them up. Yeah. It's Rosemary Brandenburg, who worked on The Serpent and the Rainbow, The Flintstones, again, The Rock. Small soldiers? I guess it was some... The small soldier stuff must be like, I don't know if Kirshner worked on it, or it was just like loaning people out to Joe Dante for... Here's my crew. You gotta assume they're friends. Um, Amistad, Planet of the Apes, The Ring, Transformers, Hateful Eight, Star Wars 9, Spider-Man No Way Home, and is currently working on Guardians of the Galaxy 3. So, still very actively working on big-ass projects as a set decorator.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I looked her up because I was looking, flipping through the credits, and... Because I was I was curious about the sets in this because it's got that Disney theme parkish feel to the entire town that I and I enjoyed that like I liked I liked the way that kind of movie and that kind of set feels where it feels like it's a like being at Disneyland at least as far as I remember because I've been there since I was like eight but there's a feeling you get from those places where it feels real but also not it feels you know magical. Magical, yeah, and these sets had that kind of vibe to them, and so I—that's why I happened to look her up, and then saw she was on like you know the ring, and I'm like, nope, she's just good at her job.
0: Yeah, so that's why I wanted to run down all those production folks and like cover some roles. I don't know, know, we don't always cover costume designer, but like I said, I think it's the first time we've mentioned a set decorator. But I think those roles are always important in a film. But in terms of why this movie. Has such staying power and why it was such a thing for people, and one of the things I'm curious about is this as a gateway horror movie for people, and obviously there's you know there's supernatural elements, and if you're young, you know the witch is good, probably you know, be scary and whatnot. but I think so much of it just comes down to the look and feel of this movie
3: yep it's beautiful.
0: There is so much effort put into this into the props. You know the, the the book design does not look that far off from something like the Necronomicon from you know the Evil Dead. Yep. Just I mean seriously, look at the sets and the amount of detail, all the the fixtures, the amount of design and the costumes, the way everything is lit. Everything is so tactile and so well wrought. It's really impressive, and it's coming out of this is like I really think it's. Because they treated the visuals, like you said, it has this magical feel, but it also enhances the supernatural elements. So I really think the attention to detail in just the visual presentation, I think, is a big part of how this kind of becomes a gateway into other horror movies. 100% agree.
1: Well, think about it. It's It's not an enormous jump from this and like, you know, Billy the Butcher to Return of the Living Dead 2. And from *Return of the Living Dead* two to *Return of the Living Dead* one, and then you know, on beyond zebra, but it it's right on that edge, and it yeah, it's it's rich and it's it's it draws you in visually very much.
0: Yeah, you'd mentioned before that like that opening shot, seeing that village, and again all the the designs in that, and again that was my first note on the movie was this is so well put together that it's I just want to pretend that Robert Eggers *The Vitch is happening somewhere on the periphery of this movie, <laughs> like it's it's all same universes. Bette Midler, what's thou like to live deliciously? <laughs> Sisters? Oh, we should edit that in. The shot of everybody float. Spoilers for the witch. The shot of everybody floating at the end of the witch and just, <laughs> just <laughs> cut in right before it smashes to black. Sisters! <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, Speaking of the visuals, I mean, this brings us back to the man of the hour, Doug Jones. Yes. And Tony Gardner went to town on his makeup and just the way he looks, he is absolutely splendid. And there's there's this one visual bit I love with him. So he towards the end, he's been running around the whole like half the film with his mouth sewn shut, and he finally gets a hold of a knife and he cuts his mouth free, and he just kind of looks up and coughs out actual mods, mm-hmm. actual like. So what I have here is apparently they're not CGI; they are real mods. Tony Gardner said that Doug Jones wore a mouth rig, a latex pocket, attached to the dentures that blocked off his throat to make the moths come out. There's a small hole in the back of the pocket so Doug could cough some air through it and force them out. So he gets there, uncuts his, the, the, the actual stitches on his face, and then coughs live moths out of his mouth. I mean, God damn, is that some effort and some dedication to the craft. It really comes through. It's perfect.
1: So. What you're saying is Sarah Jessica Parker was willing to eat a spider, but Doug Jones was not willing to eat some moths for this film? I don't know. It's a lack of commitment.
3: No, no, no. Doug Jones was willing to eat the moths, but he went out of his way to hold them in his mouth an inordinate amount of time and then release them.
0: I think he gets bonus
3: points for that.
0: Now, if he had swallowed them, what's the exchange rate between one spider versus three mods? Does that break even? <laughs> I would rather
1: eat three mods than one spider. Okay, I would actually, I would probably go so far as to say I'd rather eat twenty mods than one spider.
0: I got asthma the like the dust stuff. <laughs> the There's like ten in. extra legs in that
3: combo, though. I mean, that adds up, man.
1: Doesn't matter. I, I, yeah, that's that's about where I'm at. I now mean, we'll we'll throw this out to our our reader or readers, our listeners. You know, if if you're if you're listening to this, let us know how many mods you would rather eat than spiders
0: <laughs> for me
1: for me it's a 20 to 1 ratio
0: what's your preferred moth to spider ratio
1: and it's got to be a small spider if we're talking like a tarantula i would rather eat all of the moths like just keep fucking feeding me moths and keep the tarantula away <laughs> uh
0: i'll throw out another plug real quick
1: is this really when you want to plug somebody <laughs>
0: If you fucking love spiders and moths, <laughs> uh, there, there's a, a YouTube video I saw from, I think the channel's name is Disney Dave, uh, and he has a Hocus Pocus video, which is, I think the video is titled like deleted or slash extended scenes, and it's like a 20 minute video, so if you look it up on YouTube, you can find it, and it's kind of a hodgepodge of storyboard shots, uh, stuff that was filmed but cut out, but also some on set stuff. And you can see Doug Jones filming the moth
3: bit. Nice.
0: And you see them like prepping the rig and him saying, you know, you ever have a mold taken for your teeth at the dentist? It's like having that done and having to hold it the whole time. Uh, And and uh. you see the take, there is a, a onset shot of him doing the bit, the finished shot of him coughing out the moths. And you see the whole crew break into applause at the end of it. And then he also does some in-character interviews, I guess, as, billy butcherson he's like yeah me and winifred are going to therapy uh we we tried it i gave she took you know it just wasn't so so if you love doug jones being goofy doug jones then that's absolutely something to to check out because related to that what a great pick for doug jones day because i'm not sure there has been a more apt doug jones part ever than this yeah he's in a makeup piece but enough so that his face comes out so you know he's still expressive and by virtue of the stitches it's heightening his body language and he can be comedic like we mentioned way back in night angel like when he got into acting he thought his gig was going to be the next door neighbor is you know i'm going to be the goofy guy who comes over and asks for a cup of sugar you're like you know the wacky next door neighbor and so he gets to do all the fun comedy stuff that he likes and all the, you know, the extreme exaggerated stuff. Um, his character is actually a character who was darker in the draft of the script. I read the draft of the script. I read. Really? I'll, I'll read it. Cause it's not long. There is the original intro for Billy Butcherson. So same thing where they come across his tomb in the skeleton. And it says interior Salem County cemetery night. The kids follow banks through the graveyard past tombstones. A skeleton wielding a scythe appears from nowhere. They scream. Just a sculpted grave marker. Binks leaps atop it. Max. William Butcher. Murderer? Thief? Drunkard? Binks. A versatile guy he was, Billy the Butcher. Max. Oh right, like you knew him. Binks. Like totally, in quotes, I knew him. (laughs) That's right, Junior, I did. I knew Napoleon B., Mark Twain, Tom Edison, Davy Crockett. Chuck Lindbergh, Babe Ruth, and Walt Disney, too. Max. Really? Finks. Really? I knew Billy before and after he was strung up. The witches stole his body from the gallows and brought him back to life to raise a little hell, if you know what I mean. To keep their secrets, they cut his tongue and sewed his mouth shut with a dull needle. The kids react, hands to lips, stark silence. Finks. Now you know what we're dealing with. It ain't Elizabeth Montgomery. There now, since I've got your attention, boys and girls... Let me just say that we are in one quote grave situation. Sorry, couldn't help myself. That's Banks, not me, and that's Man. the end of the
3: script, Dexter. <laughs> I just love that every interaction with this character
0: is like, how many times I gotta tell you I seen some shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so aside from, so you can see his character's origin was a little darker. There wasn't the, you know, the oh he was you know a lover who's you know Winifred fucked him up. So he doesn't have the adversarial relationship or that kind of adversarial undercurrent with the witches or the Winifred that he has in the finished film. There's no bit at the end where he cuts his stitches and speaks. Instead, in the end, when the kids are in the cemetery, they spread salt around themselves. And in the, in the final scene, Billy steps on the salt inadvertently and then disappears in a flash of ash. It just nice. oof, eliminates him. Oof. But yeah, aside so I that pretty much exactly as in the film.
1: I was just excited he got some lines.
0: Hell yeah. Yeah, we even got Doug Jones' dialogue in this. Yeah, We didn't get that last More year. Than we got in Legion. Yeah. Unless you can... go... <laughs> <laughs>
1: but in both, opening his mouth was a big deal. So, you know.
0: That's
3: true. I really
0: like this movie. I thought it was a lot of fun. Yeah, so I guess, yeah, let's get into overall thoughts, too. Not wrapping up, but just overall reactions to the film.
3: Yeah. It's one of the few movies I got to watch for the pod with my my kids. So that was nice. Yeah. <laughs> You watch Nine Angel with the kids? Come on. Not so much. No. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm waiting one more year for Legion. Yeah, that's it. You know? Ten year yeah. olds perfect for Legion. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Yeah, why not? Yeah, it's great. Yeah.
1: Just don't take him to grandma's house right after. I
3: have to admit, there's one weird part to this movie that caught me off guard. It was um Penny Marshall and Gary Marshall playing uh, husband and wife.
0: Oh, my like, gosh.
3: Dude, I know your <laughs> siblings. What the hell are you doing?
1: <laughs> it was so random just to have them in there.
0: Yeah, having them in there at all was
3: oddball to begin with. And then I had them as, like, husband and wife. I'm
0: like, what? What? <laughs> yeah, it's weird if you think about it. But I, I like the way they at least, you, <laughs> that they play into it by disguising Penny Marshall's head. You know, with the lampshade and whatnot to make it a more of a surprise reveal. Yeah, I, again, because I barely remembered, I remembered the three leads, and I remembered a Clark Bar joke, and that was pretty much all I remembered, so I was like, holy shit, Gary Marshall, right, right, beaches, and all that stuff, right, right, which was another thing I think my mother liked, I think she liked beaches a lot. One oh, Bette Midler and that? Yeah, exactly, yep, and yeah, so I, like I mentioned, that was an uncomfortable scene, his appearance here to watch live, because it was like, oh shit, the devil showed up, and it's not just, you know. It's funny, but it's acknowledging these are folks who know the devil. So at the time, I was like, "Oh, this is awkward," but it's it's so fucking charming that whole because it's it's Gary Marshall, Benny Marshall. Yep, it's a
1: fun scene. I mean, it's goofy, but it's fun, That's especially totally when good. she tries to turn her off with the uh, the TV
0: remote. I enjoyed that. <laughs> so originally, that scene was much shorter, but I'm going to read one other bit. I, I I swear I don't have a ton of script stuff I want to read, but there was a running gag that there's remnants of it in the film that I'm going to read first because it builds into the devil bit. Originally, so the bit with Max's costume, which we get, where he comes down. So in the finish film, he comes down and he's got you know his hat and he's got the shades. And his sister says, "You know who are you supposed to be? And he says, I'm a rap singer. And that's all we get, Ooh. is I'm a rap singer. That's it. That was originally a bit more involved. So here's how it was written in the draft I read from May 92.
1: I, I can't say I'm looking forward to this.
0: Uh, I will back up after this and read something you will look forward to, is how we'll do it. I'll back up to something before this, but let's read this bit first. Danny waves gleefully. Max's costume. Baseball cap and Wayfarer twos. Danny. I've got a all planned. We're going to clean up. Where's your costume? Max puts on his sunglasses. I'm a dope dealer. Oh my god. Danny. Unacceptable. Max. I'm Christian Slater. Jenny and Dave walk over to the kids. Jenny and Dave being the mother and father. Dave, where are you supposed to be anyway? Max puts on a baseball cap. I'm a baseball player. Let's go. Danny, take your mitt. Max, angrily, don't push me, Danny. Danny looks hurt. Max and Danny walk away. Dave, kids, wait up. Danny, he's got the cameras. Max, crap, pump it. Max and Danny bolt away under a full moon below it on a nearby hill, the Sanderson house. I thought that was a funny ending joke. They see their father coming with a camera and are like, ah, shit! So, she's <laughs> <Jeez>, it, the feds! <laughs> All that stuff I just mentioned of him in the costume where him saying, I'm a dope dealer, I'm Christian Slater, it fed into a montage which we first get by seeing the devil character. It now cuts into them trick-or-treating and it goes to this bit. Danny rings a doorbell. The devil answers. Red light and goofy smoke issues out. Max yawns. Danny freaks. Ducks behind him. Danny. Ah! Devil. I guess I'll try and do Gary Marshall for this. Save yourselves! Abandon all hope, ye who ring my bell! Boy, tremendous reaction. Danny. Trick or treat. Devil. Well, well, what have we here? A little witch and a, a kid wearing sunglasses. Max. I'm a rap star. So that's where that line actually made it into the film, in a different spot. Now we go into a montage. Exterior neighborhood, various houses, night. Max drags along as Danny runs from house to house. At various doors, Max explains. Max, I'm a blind center fielder. I'm a dysfunctional teenage zombie. (laughs) I'm an illegal alien from Lapland. Oh my God. I'm an illegal alien. I'm an alien. I'm Jack Nicholson's son. I'm the ghost of James Dean. I'm a Ray-Ban factory test pilot. I'm Ray Charles' backup singer. Oh and then God. the last one, I'm her brother.
3: Uh, wow. Good cut. Good cut. Good cut. Yeah. So if, but
1: that all makes the, uh, he's a little ego line, make a little bit more sense.
0: Yes. Yes, yes exactly. So I thought it was interesting it, it fed into the you know this montage bit, which again has a whole lot of jokes that I'm very glad were cut, but I thought conceptually that was a fun idea. Yep. The whole bit of it doing a montage and him doing this, you know, rudimentary costume and, and constantly <laughs> spinning it into something else. So I was, I was like, well, okay, that, that was, was a fun idea. So here's the original devil scene, which was a lot shorter. So flash forward. So it's exterior, Mr. Noonan's house. Suddenly they referred to him as Mr. Noonan. The witches hold their skirts as bags. Winifred figures out the doorbell. Rings it. The door opens. Devil. Welcome to hell! The witches are aghast. Sarah and Mary cringe abjectly. Winifred is skeptical. Mary. Master. Sarah. We beg pardon. We did not know you lived here, master. Devil. You're the hottest hags I've seen all night. Sarah slash Mary. Oh, master, you're too kind. Oh, you're not bad yourself, sire. They giggle. Winifred silences them with a sharp eye. Winifred. We seek three children and a cat. Devil. this'll hold you till you find them. Some for you. For Sarah. One for you. Some for you. Love your schnaz. Tweaks it. there's was a running bit about Sarah having a really prominent witch nose. Mary. A gift. Will Master come sport with us? Devil. Later when the missus is asleep. Oh my god. Sarah. Master has taken a wife? Devil, I still fool around. The devil wags his tongue at them and closes the door. Mary, thank below, master is his old self. Oh, Jesus Christ!
3: <laughs> wow. Oh, so awful. that was
0: expanded into a much longer sequence, which I'm glad it was because I love this the sequence we get. Yes, <laughs> but I thought that was interesting.
3: At the end of that devil sequence, uh, they sick the uh, dog on them and it scares off the witches. And that dog actually belongs to Kathy and Jimmy. Huh. it's her talk yeah 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 the Yorkie. <laughs> yep he's adorable i love the little wings he's got on him
0: <laughs> okay i read through that so here I, jake you're gonna get a treat so here here this is so this is the original sequence of max when he goes into his room for the first time so this is following all the stuff at class which i'll just mention real quick the classroom stuff plays out a little bit differently funnily enough we we're talking about tarantulas earlier The original classroom scene, the Halloween scene, is there are two nerdy side characters who are, I believe they're named Ben and Alan. Yes, Ben and Alan. And they have a remote-controlled tarantula, which is crawling around in the classroom. And the bit is that it crawls up on Allison's shoe, and Ben and Alan make it look like Max did it. And there's a whole dialogue exchange between these nerd characters where they're like, we're doing you a favor, we got you on our radar. So Max and Allison have a little bit more of a tense relationship when they first meet because Allison thought he was picking on her in class. So I mention all that because that further colors Max being in a bad mood when he gets to his bedroom. You know, it was the bit where he gets home and in the finished film and says, and his parents ask, how was school? Sucks. And goes into his room.
1: And then he goes to dry hump a pillow and moan and probably jerk off if his sister isn't there. Yeah, you can cover your face all you want, Nick. You know what was happening in that scene.
2: Oh my god.
1: So That's what
0: was coming. So in the finished film, yeah, he he gets in his bedroom, he he's has this fantasy with a pillow and is like, oh and then there's the closet POV scene with the Harry string note, and the sister comes out, says, you know, you're taking me trick-or-treating, and, no, I'm not, and mom! So All that stuff happens at the end. Here's what happens before the sister comes out of the closet. Exterior, Max's bedroom. Day. The Woodshop Project Skull and Bones reads, Max only. Interior, Max's basement room. Day. Max rifles through the CDs. Oh no, Neil Diamond. (laughs) Oh yes, Solitary Man. As the lacrimose lyrics lilt through his private teenage cave, parentheses, Bud Light Babe posters, etc. Max goes eye to advisorly eye with a poster of his big-time hero. Neil Diamond, voiceover, singing. I'm a solitary man, that's what I am. Solitary man. Max. Oh, man, that's me. That is me! That's so true, Neil! Max opens up a copy of The Crucible, the Cromwell High School's paper. A picture of Allison. Yeah, the, this school paper is named The Crucible. <laughs> A picture of Allison leading cheers. Max. What do I do, Neil? I mean, do I just walk up and say, Hi, I'm totally in love with you. Be my girlfriend? A thought. Cool. I'll write her a song. Roses are red. Violets are blue. I'm totally in love with you. Man, Neil, I just, I don't know. Forget it. She thinks I'm a geek anyway. But, I mean, look. Max shows the picture of Allison to the picture of Neil. Max, see? Am I locking? Is she beautiful or what? Max is suddenly entranced by the picture. He brings it up to his face. He's going to kiss it. Suddenly, his little sister, Danny appears behind him from the closet. And from there, it plays out essentially as it does in the finished film. But there was a whole bit of him talking to a Neil Diamond poster. And then there was a bit when they get to the girl's house where there was a line that was cut where she where danny references and hey, my brother listens to neil diamond and allison's like you listen to neil diamond excitedly that's incredible this
1: movie would have been like an all-timer for
0: me if they'd left, if that they shit left in. in the neil diamond thing
1: it just went up a couple notches just knowing that was in the script
3: see this is 93 though like he should have like oh yeah nirvana and grunge going on this is just, no no incredibly
1: way. not something that well of course i like Neil Diamond back then, but yeah, I wasn't like talking to him or. You've
3: always been old.
1: True, but I was into you know (laughs) Pearl Jam and Boston's and all you know. I was into punk and shit back in '93, but that this one I shaved my head. But yeah, that that would have made me so happy.
0: Yeah, can I mention something real quick about Allison's house while we're on the subject of that? Yeah, because like I mentioned originally, there was a line of dialogue about Neil Diamond cut from Allison's house when they go to Allison's house. And they are having a goddamn Eyes Wide Shut party. (laughs) (laughs) They already mentioned going in, they were like, oh yeah, this is a rich people house. No, this is a Fraggle Rock Money house. Because Fraggle Rock Money people absolutely throw Eyes Wide Shut parties on Halloween. That's the only people who do.
2: Oh, God.
0: Fucking
1: basic cable people weren't throwing Eyes Wide Shut parties.
0: When they come in and they get, like, the cider, I was waiting for there to be a line. Oh, thanks for the cider. What's with the bowl full of keys on the way in?
1: <laughs> this is, of course, right before they have the conversation
0: about her boobs. Yabos. So uncomfortable. So, uh, oh, yeah, I, I was like, what the fuck? Where we got?" <laughs> like, I've only heard that phrase, like, once in my life, and it was in another movie. So I was like, what the fuck? But before that bit, there's the bit where Max and Danny come into the foyer and they shout jackpot and they run up to a bowl full of candy. I paused it. It's hundred grand bars. Oh, Henry bars and raisin Oh my God. On what fucking planet does that constitute jackpot? <laughs> Not at all. Now Not you can argue bit. that it's a quantity thing. Oh, We're about to argue. Look, I ate all that shit growing up. But that wouldn't have been like "quote jackpot," where like I hit the big time. Raisinets on Halloween. Raisinets are crap.
1: A thousand grand bars were like the best candy bar. A thousand grand bars are
0: are, were were good, but they're They're not.
1: (laughs) They were one of my favorites. I would. Oh man, I would have been. I'd have been like Homer Simpson eating donuts with a bowl full of a thousand Grams. It's just. You, You say
3: jackpot to like king size Snickers. You say jackpot to like actual full bags of M and M's, not the little, you know, mini bags, you know, shit like that. Hundred grand? <laughs> ah, I gives a shit.
1: Two things: one, hundred grand better than Snickers. No. Second,
2: oh who, no, who, whoever, hold disagree. on,
1: whoever got a full bag of M and M's on Halloween. This is about to be another Fraggle Rock money shit if you grow up getting full bags bags of M&Ms on Halloween. Holy shit.
3: You got to know which neighborhoods to hit up, that's all.
1: Yeah, apparently the one-year Fraggle
0: Rock money ass lived in. I never even sniffed a full bag of M&Ms on Halloween. You know what's worse? When Nick says full bag, what we're thinking is the kind you get you know, at the front. What Nick's thinking is the fucking holiday bags they break out. (laughs) That's what Nick means. That's what Fraggle Rock money people think when they think full bags.
1: Nick's Halloween was all about M and M's for days, man.
3: God damn. Yeah, but nobody gets a shit about a hundred grand bar. Sorry, man.
1: I do. Uh no, uh, the hundred grand is fucking delicious, yeah, man. Just That's what they were chuckles for. Christ's sake. See, I tried to head, tried to head it off. <laughs> Knew it was coming. <laughs> I'm also old enough to have eaten a Reggie bar and still dream about it, so, you know, you know.
3: You eat you eat candy like you have to take your teeth out to eat it first. I mean, that's it.
1: No, that's a bit of honey. Uh,
3: yeah, 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 yeah. I
1: mean, it's no peanut chews or whatever that tasteless, whatever it was you used to eat at the, the Oh, Oh, Charleston no. Chew? No, no, peanut chews, the peanut generic chews version.
3: Fine. No, peanut chews are fine. Uh,
1: bit of honey. I if you, no, like, if you like wax.
3: What? <laughs> It's just caramel. All
1: right. Before we get too deep into this nonsense, (laughs) I I want to run it back a little bit to talk about the bully scene. Oh, my God. Because it happens right before the, you know, the about to jerk off scene. (sighs) And so, first of all, these have to be the two saddest bullies in film history, because like it took me a while watching the scene before I realized they were supposed to be intimidating him. Yes. Like I, I didn't even realize that was the intent here. Like when he said, "No, man, my name is Ice." I'm like, "Oh, okay." So these are gonna be the goofy sidekicks, you know. And then when he reacts to what he says, "L.A.", you know, Los Angeles. Oh, and I was like, "Oh, they're gonna be the goofy sidekicks." And then they ask for a singer, and I'm like, "That's confusing." And then they shake him down for his fucking shoes, and I'm like, "Just punch him! Come on, Max! <laughs> Look at that guy! That guy is gonna fold like a house of cards." The same- anyway. I, I just, I, I, it was such a weird shift for me that, they, like, you know, oh, they're goofy sidekicks. Wait, no, they're the bullies. Yep. And then they show his hair with the ice in it, and I'm like, oh my god. But then they steal his shoes, and it was like, fuck, because that happened to me. Wait, really? Yes, I had a pair of shoes stolen off my feet. I was in a hospital waiting room. My grandfather oh, was upstairs, I,
2: yeah, I and my mom was
1: upstairs, and my brother and I were, you know, we spent a lot of afternoons in this particular hospital waiting room, and these two kids came in, and they were talking about this, and the one was like, can I try on your shoes? And me being stupid, it was like, okay. And then they ran off, and my brother and I were just like, what the fuck just happened? And yeah, so I, it was like one of those things, like, oh my god. Like, I wouldn't say I was triggered or anything, but it was like, that brings back some odd memories. It was also <laughs> one of the few times I've been on TV was the in that lobby because they were filming some segment for the news about an art display and they're like can you kids stand in front of that and we we're like all right and then we were on tv but anyway yeah so i had my shoes on but my bullies were much better than these guys
3: well these guys are like comically bullies like they have zero redeeming value they exist just to cause non-stop chaos and harm everywhere they go they're like right, but- a force of nature of bullies
1: but they're so not intimidating in any... It's like Jay and Silent Bob. If Jay and Silent Bob were somehow less intimidating less threatening. than Jay and Silent Bob already are. It's like, how do you make Kevin Smith less intimidating? Here you go,
0: this guy. And Imagine your claim to fame being less intimidating than Kevin Smith. They were somewhat more intimidating in the original. So so I'll read this. This is short. Here's how that bit goes in the original script. You'll see how it gets somewhat more intimidating. Exterior, Salem Street. This originally happened outside a mall. Max rides out of the mall under an anvil of teenage angst, looking back at Allison getting into her mom's car. Wham! He runs into Jay and Ernie. His name is even Jay! Seventeen, town jerks emeritus, an Axl Rose apostle, and a white rat fanatic on their motocross bikes. Their bags of Halloween prank supplies scatter. Max. Oh man, Jay, Ernie, man, I'm sorry. Ernie yanks Max off his bike, sticks his head in Max's face. The word ice is shaved into his short hair. Ernie. Can't you read? My name is Ice, cold-hearted like a cube. Get it? Huh? Ice? Get it? Max. Yeah, I get it. I'm sorry. Ernie. Not yet, you ain't butt-shine. Don't move, new boy. 2J. Come on. Pick it up for the stuff the whole town knows who did all the stuff tonight, tomorrow, after it's all done. J. Uh, too many words, Ice. What? Ernie, pick up the stuff, brain dead. Jay hurries. Ernie grabs Max. Ernie, you're dead, Maxie Pad. And then attention span, two shoes. Whoa, cool cross trainers. Let me check them out. Max, what, my shoes? Ernie, no, you jock strap. Yeah, your shoes. <laughs> Give me. I want to see if they fit me. Max is about to protest. Ernie unpockets a knife. Max loses the shoes. Ernie tries them on. Too small. He slices the heels out. Ernie. Perfect. Here, trade, man. Don't say I never gave you nothing. Ernie stuffs his crusty tennies in Max's arm. Ernie. If you tell anyone you saw us, confidential. Shopping. Max. Confused. Uh, yeah, yeah, I got it. Ernie and Jay take off. This directly led into a minor subplot where there is a mountain bike park, which had a Place on it called Suicide Gorge. And this immediately goes into a scene where Max watches Jay and Ernie jump their bikes across Suicide Gorge. And Max is trying to work up the gumption to go. He just can't do it and rides away. And as he rides out of the park, there's a dialogue exchange of an old ticket taker saying, Maybe next time, Max, it's always the next time. So that immediately followed this scene and led into the finale where. They get to the graveyard in the existing film. Originally, Max said, everyone else go in the graveyard. I'm going to go distract them. And what we got was a chase scene of Winifred chasing Max through the woods. And he finally jumps Suicide Gorge as Ah. part of this big chase scene. Wow. That's involved. It is. And what's more interesting is part of the reason I really would have liked to have seen it is... There's a featurette on YouTube, uh, an old featurette about how they did a lot of the wire work effects for everyone flying and showing the rigs and and all that stuff. And it's really interesting showing the effects. But for some of the stuff, they used wire puppets, especially for the scene where they're chasing down the car, which is what they used for the speeder chase in Return of the Jedi. So every time I see those shots, I can tell a lot of the shots when it's the puppet. He's like, you're moving like they do on the speeders in Return of the Jedi. So if Winifred had actually been moving through the trees... In this chasing, which she is, it's talking about her weaving through. It would have just been the fucking chase scene from *Return of the Jedi* <laughs> with all the rod puppets. So
2: I was like oh, that would have been great,
1: been awesome. So one one last note on the bullies: when they encounter him again, when they're trick or treating, and she basically says, "My big brother's here," and Max and Max comes over and they, you know, they rough him up or whatever. After that, she says, "Why didn't you punch him?" And he says, "You know, they would have killed me." And then she just absolutely obliterates him. Like, we talked about him dying young. This took three years off his life right here. (laughs) Because she says, at least you would have died like a man. Uh... (laughs) From an eight-year-old. I just was watching it. I had to pause it because it's like, holy fucking shit. She just (laughs) demolished (laughs) her brother. Like, he's got to rethink his entire fucking life in the middle of this film right here. Like, that's an existential crisis burn Uh... from your little sister right there. And he just, whoa. I just, it was the only time in this movie I felt it emotionally. <laughs> I just felt terrible for this idiot.
2: So,
1: anyway, that's just, it was just so rough. You know, it was like, it's like,
0: pause it here and you can see exactly where his heart broke. You know,
2: <laughs>
0: It's funny, like we we're talking earlier about in the script that the kids had a lot more jokes and Banks had a lot more jokes. And then that kind of shifted over to the witches in the finished film. But it's basically like they're like, leave all the Danny lines. Like pretty much all of Danny's quips are are still in there and stuff like that. And like I said, shockingly destructive lines of you know sibling disgust. She is just devastating. You know, she
2: did
1: with you when she's. I you know he likes your boobs and then this. It's like, God she is just working him like a speed bag. in this poor Max man, he just, he just has it rough. Half his life sucked out and then this. Ooh,
3: I just love that in this film. So the ending is hinged on the fact that they've pissed off these witches so much, they go, no, 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 I'm coming after your ass! And then, you know, they get chased down in the big battle scene in the graveyard. But, you know, it's nothing that the protagonists actually planned or made sure happened. They just happened to piss them off enough. So, what you essentially have is the protagonist going, ah, crap, they got their potion, and they got their book, well, we're out! peace and and they they drive past all the other kids walking to their doom and their death going nope fuck y'all bye
0: (laughs) (laughs) just leave them to suffer it's like
3: oh
2: shit
0: (laughs) that brings up an interesting point i've forgotten about speaking about the bullies so one of the subplots that was cut is if you google hocus pocus you'll see this particular plot point come up as far as the deleted one which was the candy crows which was originally in the script the witches made their own candy crows, which they gave out as Halloween candy. And when they activated it, that's what would lure the kids to their home.
1: Instead of randomly a song.
0: Exactly. Yeah, the song was a patch for that. And that's part of the, the mechanics of the ending was in order to finish it, they needed the book and the kids had the book or something like that is, is the mechanic to get them to the graveyard. But like I mentioned earlier, that sister doesn't die in the opening. She doesn't have her life force, you know, sucked out. That does happen to the two bullies in the draft of the script I read. Nah. Which is, as they're prepping the song, the witches go up and they suck the life force out of the two bullies. And they don't die, they just turn into old men.
3: See, that makes more sense why they made them so objectively irredeemable. It's like, yeah. you, you just have no sympathy whatsoever for them when they lose, like, decades of their life. It's like, oh, good, fuck you. you know?
0: <laughs> and also, for them being, like, even by Disney standards, they're, they're, they're really deep into their you know, caricatures, like I mentioned, of a vanilla ice character and an Axl Roses character, because originally the ostensibly the quote unquote payoff for that was there would be a shot of two old men in cages going, dude, tubular you know, saying early nineties, late eighties <laughs> jargon, but it would be two <laughs> old guys. While we're talking about stuff towards the end that was somewhat different, I'll mention one other thing I want to read for Jake's benefit, which is the sequence at the school where they take and this is something you got to give the movie credit for So I think the movie's biggest problem, I think, is the characters of Max and, and Allison are just pretty bog standard and just Disney characters. And they don't, at least Danny has... Well, quirks. I mean, it makes
1: sense. Max dies halfway through the movie, so...
0: Yeah, he's he's just a ghost. He should just leave the graveyard at the end with Binks and his sister.
1: I'm coming with you! His sister takes his quickening, and the rest of it is just playing out the script, man.
0: Which is probably because this movie has Halloween. Remember
1: the Do Islander,
3: uh,
0: <laughs> Hollow <ground>. uh, <laughs> <laughs> But one thing I liked is that they had a major plot point where the kids take action against the antagonists, and it is initially successful. Which is where they burn the witches, and then lead them to the school. I was like, "That's interesting." You know, they have the kids actually come up with a plan, and it has you know, there's an element to it where they get back out of it that. They're obviously unaware, of, but it's interesting that they had the kids execute a plan and think they're successful for a chunk of time. I was like, okay, that's pretty interesting. Also, the ticking clock element for the witches was slightly different, just because it comes up kind of in conjunction with that. Originally, when they go into the museum, before the witches are resurrected, when they're going to light the candle and whatnot, there are three wax sculptures of the witches around the cauldron. And when the witches are summoned, they basically go into the wax sculptures. And Winifred is then telling the other witches, they're like, you know, we got to get all this shit done and get some souls in us before morning. And Sarah or Mary, I forget which one, says why. And Winifred runs her thumb down her forearm and wax peels off. And so we're not flesh yet. If we're going to get back into human form, we need to eat some goddamn kids. So that was kind of a different element to the ticking clock. Nice. So also a quick thing I'll mention, too, in terms of something I wish they had kept in was that Max lighting the candle was an it, it probably was would have been awkward to stage. But Max lighting the candle was an accident. He's talking about lighting the candle initially. He's like, oh, we should light it. I got the, you know, the Zippo and all that. And, they're like, you know, Max, Max, no. And he's like, OK, fine. Yeah, we're not going to do it. And then Danny realizes she left her candy in there. So he has the lighter lit. And he's going back in, so he's he's doing something good. He's trying to get his sister's candy, and as he flings the lighter around. He hits the wick of this candle, and he goes, "Oh shit!" So yeah, that was just fun.
1: Anyway, instead of him leaning into it and being, "I'm a proud (laughs) version,"
0: so yeah, it was just. (laughs) But so all of that for the witches when they get lured to the school. So in the finished film, we have this bit where they're you know they can smell the kids. They follow the scent, and then you know Max is on the school radio, and they lure him into the kiln and whatnot. The Max radio element wasn't in there, and there were more involved gags as far as the witches going through the school. So I'll just read this oh. real quick.
3: R- real quick before you do that, like that kiln bit was harsh. I mean, that, that was, what it was it? It was it was freaking brutal. I was like, oh god, they just burnt them alive.
0: Oh god, we we'll put a joke in here about you know Bette Midler going. <laughs> It's like she's trying to blow him out, but these kids are standing there watching people burn to death. Well, there's a long history of that in
1: Salem.
3: But for an extended amount of time, they just let it go, too. Like, there's a chance
0: yep. that's the ending. It's like, oh my god. Oh. <laughs> it's like, well, we're never going to sleep again, but hey, <laughs> our, our lives are safe. <laughs> let's go get some fucking candy and cry ourselves. They were positively
1: giddy after burning those people alive. Oh,
0: my God. As is the tradition. Oh, one of my favorite things in the movie is that opening scene in terms of positively giddy where Max is shit-talking Halloween and, the t- and Allison pipes up and talks about Halloween and there's just fucking raucous applause from the kids when she clowns Max on Halloween. <laughs> it's just, oh. just like fucking John Garvey's family. That's it, Allison. Fuck with him. <laughs> also, I was thrilled when the teacher showed up because the teacher's been... um, Oh my gosh, what's her name? I wrote her name down. Oh gosh, where'd I write it down? While I'm writing it, connection to our previous episode. Did anybody recognize Thackeray's dad in the flashback? Binks' dad. No. He looked familiar, but I couldn't place it. He's the Norwegian from the opening of the thing. Nice! No kidding. Yep. So we had a direct connection from our previous episode. Oh, that's great. There it is. So the teacher is Kathleen Freeman, who... A lot of folks probably know his sister Mary Stigmata from the Blues Brothers, but who I know <laughs> nice. to go on a quick nostalgia binge, she is the register lady from Inner Space. Yes. <laughs> of, I love it. of the scene where the, the electro you know Dennis Quaid is fucking around with the electronic field. And it's fucking up the price on all the items. <laughs> and it the great line where he scans the can and it comes up $128,000. he says, Is that with or without the coupons? <laughs> <laughs> I watched Interspace a lot as a kid. So, a lady from Interspace.
1: It's funny because I think today is like the, the 45th or some odd anniversary of Blues Brothers coming out the day we're nice. recording this.
2: Oh,
0: no shit. Oh, wow. Yeah,
1: I saw something about that earlier today. I don't know what, so I could be wrong, but there was definitely some anniversary of Blues Brothers today.
0: Okay, so real quick, I'll read this other little script bit for Jake's benefit. I think he'll appreciate one bit. Um, Actually, I might read one other quick thing after this song. (laughs) I don't have much. Ten readings later. (laughs) 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 So this is the school bit as written. Exterior, Cromwell School. The witches followed the kids sent across the field toward the school, which looks ominous in the moonlight. Sarah, frightened. What is this place? It stinks of children. Mary points to several outdoor basketball hoops looming up in the dark. Sarah. What are those? Mary. Gallows.
1: Nice. Oh, so there's your basketball nice.
0: reference. Sarah and Mary gulp and rub their necks. They are scared. Winifred. This is a prison <laughs> for children. That line is in the finish line. Oh, in there. Yeah. Mary. You're right, Winnie. Sarah follows the scent to a window, which has been smashed and opened. Mary. This is where they entered. Sarah, scared. I'll wait here. Winifred and Mary share a look, then grab Sarah and shove her, shrieking in. (laughs) Interior boys' locker room. Moments later, the witches creep cautiously past lines of lockers. Mary, look, opens a locker. Sarah, tis for the little ones. They hang them off these hooks, then close the door. These vents let them breathe. Sarah and Mary cackle. Interior swimming pool. Moment later, and I think a version of this was filmed, but not the, the way it's written. Um, the witches and Billy move past the school's indoor pool. Mary, tis a drowning pool, points to diving board. The victim is forced to walk that plank, then they shove him in. Sarah cackles. Mary sticks her finger in the water and tastes it. Sarah, the water's been poisoned. Sarah titters. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, so that was the original, because I wanted to get the basketball reference in for Jake. I appreciate it. And the only other thing I wanted to mention, I'm not reading this because it's good, but because I'm reading it because I thought it was interesting, was one of my thoughts coming out of this movie, we'll get into overall thoughts, I thoroughly enjoyed this film. Very much so. But one of the things I thought coming out of it was, this is a Disney movie from 1993 with no fart joke. Nary a fart joke in this movie. And this was, I think, kind of around the time this started becoming... Relatively commonplace, you know. In my memory, maybe not, but in the script, there was a fart joke. It was at the Mm. Halloween party when the Sandersons show up, and it's the big ball where, which in the finished film breaks into the you know I'll put a spell on you the the musical number. When they first walk in, here's how it's written: The witches split up and move through the crowd looking for the kids. A middle-aged woman costumed as Glinda from The Wizard of Oz approaches Sarah. Glinda, are you a good witch or a bad witch? Mary glowers at her for a beat. Then lets out the biggest, juiciest, smelliest fart in movie history. <laughs> Miss America, standing directly behind her, passes out while an Indian chief, apologize for the dated verbiage, and Fidel Castro scurry for airspace. Oh, God. Mary, does that answer your question? <laughs> That's random. There was a whole costume contest. So originally, we, we, instead of the musical number, they were doing a costume contest and it was like here's fidel castro here's miss america and the payoff was billy's chasing the kids there's still the bits where the kids call out the sandersons and the sandersons distract everybody and the sandersons act like they're just in costume they don't curse the parents to dance constantly like they're doing the finish film parents actually just don't believe their kids and then eventually the, the parents go home and then later they get cursed to stay asleep while the kids go off for the climax but okay. so the payoff for the costume contest was billy chases the kids on stage and the guy who's the MC says we have a winner and he smacks billy on the back and billy's arms fall off
3: whereas in this film we just have his head come off twice which i got man danny like billy will find his head again don't get out of the protective circle to help with his head that was stupid <laughs> yes it was <laughs> That protective
1: circle didn't. It wasn't very useful.
3: It only works if you stay the hell in it. <laughs>
1: I I still. It's funny the the adult party with Max's parents. Like this is the horniest part of this overly horny film.
0: Also, uh, someone who I want to shout out just as a random performer who I appreciate is Stephanie Pharisee as the mother because she has two line deliveries in there that I actually chuckled at, and which <laughs> were the delivery of, to Danny of how much candy have you had. And then Danny say, Mom I didn't know D you know and then her delivery after that of let's just find your father <laughs> so I was like oh that was pitch perfect <laughs> just really perfect delivery for that scene I will say I didn't I, I laughed a few times during the film but the main thing was I just smiled damn near the whole time yep. it's when when the witches are on screen I don't know how anybody got through a take on this movie.
2: <laughs> that you got through
0: two to three seconds without somebody breaking yep and from all of them but particularly bet midler who's i mean they're all committed to the bit but good god bet midler in this is seriously it's just when they're on screen i just smile it's the, they're so much fun they're having so much fun and there is some good material that they've got so it's infectious i will say that the joke that made me pause the movie is not one of theirs because i always pause a movie at a joke that no one else would find is funny to me. That's some random cursory joke. The joke that made me laugh so hard I had to pause it is when the kids are hiding out behind the seafood restaurant. And it, I don't know if it's if it's clarified in the finished film, but in the script, they're trying to disguise their smell from the witches. So they go to the smelliest place they can think of, but they actually jump into the dumpsters of this fish place. And it describes them being in this bin full of like lobster tails and fish heads. And it's, it's oh, it's the way it's described. is so fucking gross. It's the bit when they're hiding and there's the door opens and then the cook comes out, who was played by Frank Del Baccio, who is apparently the assistant cameraman on the movie. <laughs> All right, guys, who's going for the jacuzzi? He pulls the lobster out and says, Angelo, too bad. <laughs> I had to stop it. I was laughing. I mean, it's such a random non sequitur. And I just Angela,
2: <laughs>
0: too bad. It's just pitch perfect delivery. Just such a uh, random side joke. I thought that was fucking hilarious.
1: It was good. Yeah, I I enjoyed it. It wasn't necessarily my you know cup of tea. It's not something I'll probably start watching every Halloween or anything. But it was it was definitely different for you know for us. I mean, we've been using that Disney Plus account a lot lately. So uh, yeah, it was. It was a good time. It was a nice change of pace. I can see why people like it. I can see why there's a cult following for it. Again, it's not necessarily my thing, but I got a kick out of it. So,
3: I I have to agree strongly with what you said, Eric. That you know, I just smile through the whole thing. It's visually stunning. It's always got a joke that lands here or there. While the lead characters are a bit dry, Danny is fantastic. The witches are fantastic. Billy Butcherson phenomenal love you doug jones
0: <laughs> love you doug
3: and on the whole it's just it it's a lot of fun and while it may not be great at times it's hard to say there are bad parts and it's a perfect film for introducing the kids to a small taste of horror especially for a nice halloween treat and i suggest for any parent out there that this movie is relatively good for just about kids of all ages just be aware you're gonna have to explain what a virgin is. You're gonna have to explain what a virgin is. We did last night. So yeah, so
0: that's one bit that's come up. There's some articles about that and talking kind of how poorly that line has aged. And which funny is, it totally didn't occur to me the first time watching it. It did the second time, but the first time watching it, it was just that wasn't an uncommon. I don't think it was that uncommon of a thing in kids' films growing up. But my perspective might be Monster skewed, Squad. Yes, that was one. Yep. For what Hocus Pocus is for a generation, mine was Monster Squad, and it's one of the best. <laughs>
3: Steve doesn't that count. does it it count. Count. <laughs>
0: <laughs> down. count. Yeah, I, I was curious if that would come up that that particular line. It was oh well, yeah, I guess that hasn't aged particularly well in terms of you know shifting sensibilities. But yeah, the first time. Yeah you know, again I have to assume it was a regular thing cuz the first time I watched it it didn't click as like yeah as an anomaly so
1: oh you know before we wrap up I guess I should say I should throw out that other uh, the third community connection I was teasing
3: uh, I was I was hoping I was getting away with this Here we go Nick All right buckle in So uh this one
1: is actually Toby uh Jelinek, who plays Jay in this He also appears in an episode of Atlanta season 1 he plays a character named Felds in the season one finale, The Jacket, which is probably one of my two favorite episodes of Atlanta. And of course, Atlanta features Donald Glover, who played Troy on Community. In fact, Atlanta is part of the reason, like that was one of the reasons he uh, no longer was on Community, was he wanted to pursue other interests and Atlanta was among them.
0: So yeah, so that was number
1: three.
3: So at least that was an actor to actor connection.
0: screen grab of the expression Nick was making during that. Got it. (laughs)
3: I I, th-
1: I think Nick doesn't understand that not everybody was in everything. So like, there's never going to be a there's very few one to ones. So you got to get creative. I mean, look uh, next time. Next time, I will list the stunt people and and the the sound designers that were on both shows. That'll make you
3: happy. You you once used a Christmas Carol to connect like the because it was
1: funny. <laughs> there were other connections there, but that one was funny. Like I had to look it up. I'm like, who the fuck is this? And then realized it was a guy who wrote Silent Night. Like Mozart was on this one. Like that was one of the connections. Was Wolfgang Amadeus, or I think it was Mozart. Was one of those big composers. And I'm like, that's funny, but I already did that joke, so I moved on.
3: It's like just some of your connections are like, in this movie, you can see the night sky. The night sky is also seen in Community.
1: (laughs) Well, that's gonna be the next one.
3: The sun is in both these worlds
0: in these movies. <laughs>
1: Look, I'm going to go every route that I enjoy. And I just recently rewatched
0: Freaks and Geeks. So that was the number one on this. I have a note in all caps with like 10 question marks in my notes, which is, is the pink smoke in the opening scene of the movie a reference to Akira Kurosawa's high and low? So you're not the only person who's making like really <laughs> tangential thing. If you're listening, let me know if you think that is a reference. It. The way it's shot, it seems like it's a reference to high and low, so Nick's gonna kill both of us.
1: <sighs> well, remember when Nick did the uh, Dawson's Creek connections for like half an episode? That's because they were like, actual connections. I'm gonna connect this to Dawson's Creek. <laughs> they
3: were actual connections.
1: Yeah, try and do that with this, you know? That's what I'm saying. I'm not! It's a challenge. <laughs> yeah, because you're a coward!
2: <laughs> <laughs> look, when I connected
1: this shit to the innocents, that was, look, Everything is on the table. Wait till we get some of them older movies, man. We're going to have really we, get creative. There's
0: one we're kicking around for later this year, which is going to be fun. But
1: <laughs> I'll do it. Might be Mozart again, but I'll do it. Anyway, that's all I got. It's a fun movie and a perfect movie to show on your lawn for Halloween.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, just a quick wrap-up. If for some reason you've gotten this far and it's a movie you haven't revisited in a while and it sounds like it, you, know, you might enjoy it, you got Disney Plus, give it a watch. Yeah, I, I had a really good time going back to this. It's like I mentioned, I saw it under rather peculiar circumstances. But even then, like the humor didn't just stick with me as much. Like I said, and it was the decided uncomfortableness by be- watching this subject matter with my parents. But also, aside from the Clark Bar, none of the jokes stuck with them. And seeing it now, it's I'm kinda like, man, why didn't I watch this? Like, on a sneak a copy into my house. <laughs> like it was you know, like anime or something like that, where I have to sneak in a copy of, you know, the Giver or something that my buddy gave me and not let my parents know I had it or something. Have an awakening to Sarah Jessica Parker. Don't let them know I taped, you know, Vampire Hunter D off the Sci Fi channel That <laughs> <Let> my whatever. <laughs> but how did I not have an illicit copy of Focus Pocus? Because it does. It was like, man, that feels like something I should have watched the shit out of this. But yeah, watching it now, I get, I watched it like three, four times prepping for this. You know, one was a watch along with the script. It's just, and I still smile. It's just fun. You know, I don't think it's the best Disney movie, you know, like kind of from this period, but it's, and like I mentioned, it has issues. It's it's very bog standard and there are elements of it that definitely need to be punched up, but it is so fun to look at, so fun to watch, at least when the witches are on screen. And there's obviously so much love put into this movie on the production level. I mean, obviously you can see how committed the actors are, talking again about those production details. Just look at the sets. Look at the props. Look at all the work that went into this. You know, the the inception of this was the original version of the script Nick Garris did. It was called Disney's Halloween House was the original name for it. And the movie was supposed to be a love letter to Halloween. And these are people who were loving what they were doing and wanted to get the spirit of that season into this film. Too bad it came out in July, but... (coughs) (laughs) which is one thing mick garris mentions ruefully is he mentions that one of the reasons he thinks the movie did poorly so just to mention it had a budget apparently of 28 million and it had a box office of 45 million 44 of which was apparently domestic so it made a million outside of the u.s presumably it opened in july but the movie that opened in the october slot was cool runnings and cool runnings did 154 million dollars worldwide versus a 17 million dollar budget And 68 million of that was domestic. So I don't know how much of that was the slot it was in, like for, you know, to put it in the winter season or whatever Disney's logic was. And I'm sure they didn't put them both in the same month because they didn't want to compete against themselves. But it's like, you know, yeah, from a movie perspective, I absolutely wouldn't have put, you know, Hocus Pocus in anything other than October, maybe September, but you will say what they did put in October did quite well for him, because I remember growing up, Cool Runnings was kind of a big deal. That was got that yeah. played a lot in school growing up. So There wasn't a Winter
1: Olympics that fall, but there was a 94 in 94 in February, so that might have been part of that with Cool Runnings.
3: It was coming up on that season, yeah.
0: Okay, yeah. It would have well, been the
3: lead-in to the Olympics. These movies played for longer back then, too. So It's true. They're much shorter now, because they want to get to a streaming and... Uh sales as
0: fast as possible yeah yeah it seems the way most people found this growing up was it became a disney channel staple and that's how a lot of folks discovered it and great like we mentioned this movie got a big following and i'm glad people discovered it and this is one of those movies like i'm I'm glad this movie exists and and means a lot to people i mean this is a big gateway film and it's it's a fun one you know absolutely this is your halloween staple great choice and yeah and now we got a sequel to look forward to so yeah we'll see maybe hey. we'll do that later in the year or something
1: yeah, triple feature it with, you know, like the this, then the craft, and then the vavich You know, and you get the three different kinds of witch movies. <laughs> the evolution, of, the um, evolution. Of,
0: of you growing <laughs> into witches <laughs> and horror. Yeah. It's funny. I was, you, you think of the craft because of the bus sequence in this film, which has the, you know, craft yeah. has, of course, the We Are the Weirdos bus scene. This movie, again, one of the, the oddly tawdry bits of <laughs> this movie <laughs> is yeah, the, the hyper perverted bus driver. The fucking horniest bus driver of all time. <laughs> She's on his lap when it comes back, man. It's just, what the hell? This man sees them run over a cat, and his reaction is, Oh, speed bump! <laughs> well, think about it. Those three movies I named, this is
1: far and away the horniest of them. And it, Well, I mean, I guess if you want to get into Black Phillip, he's got actual horns, but that's a whole other thing. What's that like to live deliciously? Well, don't be filthy
3: about it. <laughs> <laughs> It's
0: just not that deliciously. Yeah.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so yeah. Thank you so much for listening to this. I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you liked it, again, if you want to leave us a review, you know, great. That'd be fabulous. But if you want to follow us on social media, at Scary pod on Twitter, at Scary Stuff Podcast on Instagram, we've got a letterbox account, we're Scary Stuff Podcast there. Visit us on the website, scarystuffpodcast.com. But mostly just thank you so much for listening to this. We really hope you had a good time because This movie's a good time, and we had a good time talking about it. So, yeah, thank you so much for listening. And we will be back with stuff in July. (laughs) What that stuff is, we're not quite sure yet. The schedule's a little bit in flux. But we just did three episodes in a week, so (laughs) hope you enjoy them. There's plenty of content. The intro to our Thing episode has a line about the editor is very tired. Yes, that's a riff on the Thing, but it's also not a lie. (laughs) So... (laughs) (laughs) But we will be back soon with more content. And, again, just hope you enjoy this episode. In the meantime, thank you for listening. This is Eric signing off. This
3: is Nick saying, Wench! Trollop! You buck-toothed mop-riding firefly from hell! Been waiting all podcasts to say that. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. This is
1: Jacob saying, At least we died as men. Good night, everybody. The fuck is Rose Petal Place?
0: It didn't have a
2: cartoon, so we're moving on.